0: Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Okay, the rest of you can please open your Bibles to the book of Jonah this morning. The book of Jonah. Uh, If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. We have Bibles for you. They are located underneath the chairs in front of you. So you can reach forward and grab one of those Bibles. Uh, It will be important for you to be able to look at the Scriptures because we're going to be looking at a lot of different verses throughout this book today. Uh, Jonah, by the way, is on page 451 of the paperback Bibles in the chairs in front of you. Um, Probably most of you have come here this morning Uh, with various concerns, worries, anxieties. Um, We are a people who are concerned about many things. We're concerned about money. A lot of us worried about money, paying the bills, paying the mortgage, retirement. Will we have enough money? Uh, A lot of parents worry about their children. Maybe you're coming today concerned about how your children are going to turn out. Um, What will they be like when they get older? Maybe you're concerned today about um, your weight. Your physical appearance, Um, you're you're, you're concerned about dieting and feel like you need to start that, or maybe you have started, it's not going so well, you're worried about that. If you're a student, you're back into school and you're maybe a little worried about how you're going to do, papers are going to be due, exams are going to be due, you got to get grades. Uh, If you're uh, later in college, you're looking for a job, you're you're concerned about that. Maybe you've got a boyfriend or girlfriend, you're kind of concerned about how that's working out. Maybe you look at our culture and our nation, you you have concern about how things are going in in our culture, maybe you're a little bit worried uh, about that. All of these are are legitimate concerns that many of us have. But my question to you here this morning is how many of you are concerned today about the scores of people who are perishing apart from faith in Jesus Christ? Is that a concern to you today? Has that been on your heart lately? That people all throughout the world do not know Jesus. And if they haven't placed faith in Jesus, they're going to perish. That's what the scriptures tell us. And that actually is what the book of Jonah is about. We are continuing through this sermon series, Route 66... We are going through the entire Bible here, one sermon per Bible book. We started, I don't know how long ago. It seems like we've been doing this forever. We're we're continuing through. We're, God willing, going to get all the way to Revelation uh, eventually, and um, we are in the section of the Bible called the Minor Prophets, and last time, two weeks ago, Andrew preached for us last Sunday, but the Sunday prior, we looked at one of the most obscure, the most minor of the prophets, I called it, which was uh, Obadiah a prophet that maybe most of you hadn't heard of but today we look at the prophet that probably everyone here has heard of and knows something about maybe the most popular minor prophet jonah i mean even children generally know the story of jonah jonah and the whale jonah getting swallowed by the big fish almost everybody knows something about this story but maybe not everyone knows the point of this book which is to get us all to ask this question. Do you have a heart for the lost? Do you feel your heart welling up with pity and compassion for those who don't know Jesus? That's what this book is forcing us to ask. And I'll show you how that takes place as we get into the text. So just some basic information about Jonah, um, who wrote the book. Well, we're not really sure. Uh, It could have been Jonah, maybe, but... we we don't know scholars aren't sure they're not sure either about the date of the writing of the book probably sometime between the 8th and 3rd century before Jesus Jonah is one of the earlier prophets we we know that that uh, he prophesied um, during the reign of Jeroboam during uh, who was a king in Israel so one of the very earlier prophets contemporary of Amos and some of the significant events in Jonah I just told you about this Jonah being swallowed by the whale. That's what we know. Most of all, we also know about Jonah's preaching to the city of Nineveh. Those are the major historical events that take place. Uh, The themes that we see in the book of Jonah, God's sovereignty over all creation, even over fish. Uh, The importance of repentance, uh, but also God's love for all nations. That's really the primary theme. God's love for all different kinds of people throughout the world. And uh, what I'm going to try to do here, when I get to these smaller books that are kind of more story-oriented, I kind of feel like I need to try to give you an overview of the whole thing. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to cover all four chapters. I'm not going to read all four chapters. I'm just going to get us started here with the first three verses. But I hope you have a Bible, and I hope you have it open on your lap, and we're going to be going through all four chapters, and and I'll be telling you here the story of Jonah. So please rise now for the reading of God's Word. Jonah 1, I'm just going to read the first three verses. away from the presence of the Lord. God, we pray and plead with you by your spirit that you would work powerfully in our hearts and minds as we hear your word go forth now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Um, So let's just go through these four chapters uh, of Jonah. Just four chapters, very small book, very brief. um, And we're going to consider each chapter based on the attitude or the response of Jonah. And so in chapter one, what we're gonna see is Jonah protesting. Chapter one is Jonah's protest. Now, what what is it that he is protesting? And it's this, that God came and gave him a very clear, understandable, and direct command, and Jonah didn't wanna do it. And we see this in verses one through three, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Jonah. And God told Jonah, go to Nineveh for that great city and call out against it. Their evil has come up before me. And we see what Jonah does in protest is he flees. He doesn't want to do what God has called him to do. And he goes to this place called Tarshish. Now, that city Tarshish is is, uh, significant here because... Uh, Tarshish is a a city that would have been known as the farthest away place you could possibly get. You know, like here in America, we might say going to Mongolia or or going to China, maybe. You know, when we talk about going somewhere as far away from the United States as possible, we might choose those nations. That's the significance that Tarshish has in this text. You'll see this map here. This is uh, Israel here. This is Joppa. Joppa is the city mentioned here in verse 4 three, I think, three, two or three, where Jonah went to get his ship. But you'll notice Nineveh is up here. Nineveh, a city, great city in Assyria. And God said, go to Nineveh. And where did Jonah go? Tarshish, (laughs) which is about as far away as you can possibly get. It's over, uh, actually scholars are not exactly sure where Tarshish was, but uh, that's Spain. So that's a long way away. And as Jonah got on his ship, that's where he intended to go. He wanted to get as far away from uh, Nineveh as he could. So the question that arises in our mind right now is, is why did he do that? Why did he want to flee uh, and do the opposite of what God called him to do? What was it that kept Jonah from wanting to go to Nineveh. Now, there's a number of different reasons for that. I mean, there can be just some basic reasons like just fearing rejection. I think all of us kind of feel that way when we sense there's a call on our hearts to share the gospel with somebody. We don't want to be rejected. We want to be liked. Maybe there was some of that in Jonah. Uh, It could be also because Nineveh and the Assyrians had a reputation for being brutal, violent people. So, Jonah probably had some fears about exactly what was going to happen to him if he went to Nineveh and preached what God told him to preach. Uh, There's also something kind of unusual about this mission because Jonah is the only prophet that is told to go into enemy territory and proclaim God's word. All the other prophets are preaching either to Israel or Judah, but here is Jonah being called to go to Nineveh, to go to this enemy nation and preach. And so... For all of these reasons, perhaps um, Jonah is feeling very reluctant, and we can sympathize with that, and we shouldn't be too hard on Jonah, and we shouldn't assume that we would do things any differently. It's not an attractive mission that God has given to Jonah, but I think there's a different reason, a bigger reason, a more important and primary reason why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. It wasn't. It wasn't so much his fear of the Ninevites. It wasn't so much his fear of rejection. And I think we get a peek of that uh, in the end of verse 3. It says he paid the fare on the, in Joppa. When he got on the boat, he went on board to go with him to Tarshish. But where is he fleeing from? From the presence of the Lord. There's something about God that is bugging Jonah. There's something about God that Jonah wants to get away from. It's not so much a fear of Nineveh, but something that he wants to distance himself from God, and we're going to find out what that is as we continue through this book. So the story continues, Um, I haven't read this, but um, here's what happens throughout the rest here of chapter 1. Jonah gets on the ship, there's this big storm that comes up, he's on this ship with these pagan sailors, the sailors are are terrified at this storm, and so um, they're calling out to their gods in verse 5. Uh, At the end of verse 6, we see that they're concerned that they're going to perish. And so here's here's Jonah, here's the prophet, here's God's man. He's on this boat with these pagan sailors who are scared to death that they're going to die. What a great opportunity for Jonah to talk about the hope of eternal life, to talk to these people about the one true God. And what is Jonah doing? Well, we find out at the end of verse 5 that he's taking a nap. Jonah's tired. He's down in the boat and he's fast asleep there at the end of verse 5. And so what the writer is trying to tell us here is that perhaps Jonah has a problem with having a heart for the lost. <laughs> You've got an opportunity to speak to these pagan sailors. that They're pagans, right? They're calling out to their gods in verse 5. But Jonah would rather sleep. And so... We see there's something not quite right here with Jonah, right? I mean, number one, he's fleeing from God. And number two, he's asleep when he has this opportunity to reach these people. So the story goes on here in chapter one. Um, uh, The sailors are very concerned about what has happened. So they cast lots. They find out that the reason why this storm is coming upon this boat is because of Jonah. Because he was the one fleeing from his God. And so uh, they have this discussion. And Jonah says here, I know what will help. Throw me into the sea. And so the sailors take Jonah, they throw him into the sea, and the storm stops. And we see at the very end of chapter 1, if you want to look at verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So, um, now, I I know some of you might have some questions here, like, what's going on? Really? (laughs) Jonah is swallowed up by a fish? Living in a fish, is that what you're really telling us? That, that's really not the question that this chapter is trying to get us to ask. And if you want to really know the intention of the Spirit of God in the writing of this chapter, it would be to get you to ask this question. Is God calling me to do something that I don't want to do right now? And am I in protest against what God is calling me to do? Is God reaching out to you? Do you sense God breaking into your life? Do you sense God calling you? Challenging you, convicting you, you don't like it, and you're fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Is that going on in your life right now? The writer of this book wants you to ask that question. So that's the first thing we see, Jonah's protest. But the second thing we see is that Jonah prays. So we're moving on to chapter 2 now, quickly working through the book. Jonah Praise the amazing thing here as Jonah gets into this belly of the whale is that he doesn't die he, he survives he's alive in this whale and, and he prays now to get back to this question I mean how do we know this really happened did, did this really happen you know it's just just a, a fairy tale or, or a, a myth of some sort well let me just show you this passage here from Matthew chapter 12 this is Jonah uh, excuse me Jesus speaking. And Jesus says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus here is drawing a very direct comparison between two great events. One is his death on the cross and his body being laid in a tomb which when he's speaking here, of course, that's future, but we, we regard that as historical, right? We believe that happened. That's central to our faith as Christians. And what Jesus is saying, well, in the same way that my death and resurrection were historical, so was it historical that Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. In other words, Jesus believed that this happened. He believed that Jonah really did get swallowed by a whale. And if Jonah, if Jesus believed it, then, then we should as well. But what we see here in chapter 2, most significantly, is a verse at, um, near the end of the chapters, the end of verse 9, a very important verse. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Do you see that? Very end of verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. If you've ever wondered if there's a nice little tight nugget of a phrase that can describe the entire message of the Bible, this would be it. Right here in Jonah chapter 2. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is something that comes to us from God. Salvation is something that God does, something that He performs, something that He accomplishes, something that He offers and gives and distributes as He wishes. Salvation is not ours to achieve, it's not ours to work for or to earn, it's not something that comes from us outwardly, it's something that comes from God to us to be received by faith and we see here in this prayer of Jonah a, a very good picture of how the gospel really works because we know that Jonah deserves Death, we know he deserves condemnation because what did he just do? He just resisted the call of God on his life. He just ran from God. That's the very essence of sin, running from God, not wanting him in our lives and fleeing from his presence. And that's exactly what Jonah has done. But once he found himself then under the condemnation of God in the belly of this whale, what does he do? In verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. That's the response of anybody who finds himself full of guilt and shame and under the condemnation of God. You call out to God for mercy, and that's exactly what Jonah did. And God answered that call and saved him, and we're going to see how that happens here in just a moment. But what, what Jonah finds himself dealing with here is the fact that he should be dead, but he is alive. That... There's a certain way God should have treated him, but he didn't. He's not being treated as his sins deserve here. That's the essence of grace and the essence of the gospel. Jonah should be dead, but behold, he is alive because of the grace of God. And so that's what this prayer is kind of about here in chapter two. It's it's Jonah saying, you know, I called out to God and he heard me and he answered me. And you'll see at the very end, of the chapter verse 10 and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land so we might say he was once dead now he's alive and he's out on on the earth and he's freed and salvation is his that's why that phrase is there in verse 9 salvation belongs to the Lord but now, now here's the question that this chapter is getting us to ask about Jonah he has experienced salvation Will he desire salvation for others? That's the question. Okay, Jonah has tasted the grace of God. He's tasted the mercy of God. Now, will he want to extend that grace and mercy to other people? Or will he just want to hoard it? Will it just be his own little private comfort? Or will he have a heart for the lost now that he has tasted grace? And the application here is that Friends, the the deeper grace is in your heart, the more you have tasted it, the more grateful you are for the mercy of God to you and the gospel, the more you will want other people to know it. If you have no desire to talk about Jesus to anyone, you have to ask yourself, how much do I really get grace? How much do I understand this? John Piper says it like this, the more deeply We feel how undeserved and free was the grace that plucked us from the flames. The freer will be our benevolence to sinners. The more active and open will be our kindness and compassion to those who don't know the gospel. So, this is Jonah's prayer. Calls out for mercy. God saves him. And then we move on to the third chapter. Jonah preaches. Jonah preaches. You'll see here the determination of God to reach the nations. Right? Just as soon as Jonah is vomited up, verse 1, immediately, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying what? The same thing he said the first time. Go to Nineveh, Jonah. We're going to pick up where we left off. We had a little bit of a sidetrack tangent here now with the fish, but let's get back to business. And God says, Go to Nineveh, and this time Jonah goes. This time he responds, verse 3, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So finally, Jonah is going to do this. And so again, this question is, I mean, now has his heart changed? Is he, is he really, does he really have a heart for the lost? Does he really want to see the Ninevites saved? Well, when Jonah gets to Nineveh, he preaches probably the worst sermon ever preached... In the Bible, I, I can tell you this sermon that Jonah preaches would not get a good grade in any of the seminary classes that, that, that I took. I mean, there's no grace in this sermon a, at all. What, what, what does he say? Well, uh, let, let, let's read. It says in verse four, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And here's his sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. There's no catchy illustration to start things off, you know, no introduction. No, no really indication of what the Ninevites were even supposed to do in response to this. Uh, we certainly don't see a whole lot of, a lot of grace here. Uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, that this is just five words, just a five-word sermon. That, that's all that Jonah says. Um, some people say, well... You know maybe Jonah preached more than this I mean sometimes it 's true we 'll see sermons and we 're not expecting that we 're getting every word that was spoken. maybe Jonah said more than this, but I think what we 've heard seen so far from Jonah doesn 't give us a lot of confidence that Jonah had a lot more to say than this he's he 's very reluctant, and so he gives this very blunt message of judgment and, and this is something we hear a lot about today that you know we're we 're not supposed to talk this way right as christians i mean we're not supposed to talk about judgment. That, that's, judgment is what turns people off. Judgment is what offends people. People get scared and frightened when you talk about judgment. Don't do that. There's no way anybody is going to believe in the gospel if you talk about judgment. Right? That's what we're told, and yet, what happens in Nineveh? <laughs> Look to verse 5, chapter 3, verse 5. How do they respond? The people of Nineveh believed God. On this one sermon of judgment, they believed. Not only do they believe, but look down to verse 8. The king says, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out to mighty God. Let everyone turn from his evil way. There's a call to repentance. This isn't just a half-hearted belief. Repentance happens, and as a result of that repentance, God responds and relents it says in verse 10 God relents of the disaster that he said he would do them and he did not do it they received mercy from God basically revival breaks out in Nineveh as a result of this uh, less than perfect sermon that Jonah preaches this reminds me of uh, the conversion of Charles Spurgeon maybe you know this story Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher in Britain in the 1800s one of the greatest preachers who's ever lived and uh, as the story is told, Spurgeon, young man, he was going to church, and it was in the wintertime, and he's walking down the road, and a snowstorm comes, so he can't get to his church, so he just finds the uh, nearest church that he can find, and he goes into this Methodist church. And uh, the guy preaching is not even the pastor, he, he's just this kind of layman, and um, he is preaching on Isaiah 45:22. Which reads like this, it says, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And as Spurgeon tells this story, he says, it it seemed like the guy really didn't have much to say because he just kept repeating this verse over and over again in his sermon. And he said there was one moment when the preacher looked at Spurgeon sitting out there and just said to Spurgeon, look, look. That's all he said based on this text and Spurgeon was converted on the spot born again by the Holy Spirit he says that's when I was saved when this guy who wasn't even trained just kept saying this verse over and over again the Holy Spirit changed my heart he said Jesus just became lovely and beautiful and adorable to me and I received him and became white as the snowflakes that are falling from the sky he said just through the proclamation of this word. Now, this passage is not an excuse for us to be lazy or slack in the way we preach or the way we talk to others about the gospel, but it does tell us that God can use your words when you use his words. No matter how stumbling they might be, no matter how inarticulate they might be, if you are declaring God's word, God can use that. And save people. Jeremiah says the word of God is like a hammer that breaks rock into pieces. Salvation ultimately does not occur because of the cleverness or talent or giftedness of the person who is speaking the word. The power is in the word itself. And that's what we see here in Jonah. He tells the people what God told him to say. And revival breaks out. Jonah preaches. Last thing, then we see in chapter four, is Jonah pouts. <laughs> okay, so now, now here in chapter four, we, we it, everything kind of comes into view. Um, there's revival in Nineveh. There's belief in the one true God. There's there's repentance. And how does how, how does Jonah respond? You see it in chapter four, verse one. It displeased. Jonah exceedingly (laughs) and he was angry angry because people were repenting and turning to God for salvation can you believe that what is wrong with Jonah (laughs) he's angry because people are getting saved so we see here why he fled from Tarshish Not so much a fear of the brutality of the Assyrians, not so much fear of rejection, not so much fear of God being angry at him. What he didn't like is that God is so good, that God is so gracious, that God is so kind. That's what he didn't like. If you think I'm making that up, just look at verse 2 in chapter 4, kind of halfway through. Look what Jonah says. This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. This is why I ran away from you, God. Because I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I knew you'd save these people. I knew you were full of grace and full of love and full of mercy and full of kindness. That's why I didn't want to go. Because I did not want to see the Ninevites saved. I want to see them destroyed. That was... Jonah's heart, Jonah hated the Ninevites so much that he resented God for saving them. So the question that we're being exhorted to ask here is, how much do you want your enemies to be saved? How much in your heart do you have a longing for people who you resent for whatever reason? to be saved. Do you want people to be saved who are just people like you? Other people who act like you and look like you, your friends? What about the people you hate? Who do you hate? Maybe it's somebody in your family, maybe it's a brother or sister, maybe it's an an in-law, maybe it's an ex-wife, an ex-husband, Your heart is filled with resentment against that person. And you want them destroyed. Maybe it's somebody of another race. Maybe it's people who support Bernie Sanders. Maybe it's people who support Donald Trump. You hate them. Maybe it's people in the LGBT community. Maybe it's people who call themselves white supremacists. Do you hate them? Do you resent them? Is your heart filled with animosity toward them? Do you want to see them saved? Do you? That's the point of Jonah. This book is exposing in all of us the fact that the people we want to be saved are the people that we like and that are like us. And so, as the story goes on, uh, what happens is in chapter 4, God appoints a Plant that gives some shade to Jonah. So what Jonah does, is he goes to the outskirts of the city to kind of watch, and he wants to see what happens here. You know, is God going to destroy the city or not? He said he was going to relent. I think what Jonah was probably thinking is, I hope that God repents of his relenting and destroys them anyway. So he's out there watching. You know, maybe we'll get some destruction, some fireworks here, and it's very hot. And so this plant comes and it gives Jonah some shade. And uh, then in verse 7, it says God appoints a worm, sends this worm, and the worm uh, eats the plant, the plant wilts and dies, and so now Jonah doesn't have his shade, and we read here that Jonah is absolutely devastated because this plant has been taken from him. He's just overcome with sorrow, he wants to die, that's how much this is bothering him, the fact that a plant died. And so what God does here in chapter 4 at the end of the book is he uses this as an object lesson. Basically, he says this, Jonah, you're so upset about this plant perishing. you be at least as concerned about the people in Nineveh perishing? That's that's the point. God is pointing out the absurdity of this situation. You don't want a plant to die, but you're okay when 12,000 people in Nineveh die? People made in the image of God, not 12,000, 120,000, it says in verse 11. You're more concerned about a plant than a person, than multiple people? Verse 10, God says it like this. You pity the plant. Verse 11, should not I pity Nineveh? And by implication, shouldn't you, uh, Jonah, pity Nineveh? Shouldn't you have compassion on these people that you consider your enemies? So who is it, friends? Friends. Do, do you have a heart for the lost? Do you have a heart for those who are different than you? Do you have a heart for those who who disagree with you? Do you have a heart for those on the other side of the political spectrum? Do you have a heart for those in different denominations? Do you have a heart for those in different nations and different races? Do you have a heart for those who think and act and behave differently than you do? The, the only way, friends, that you're really gonna get a heart for those kind of people is to, to flee to the gospel and meditate and cherish the gospel that this book is pointing us to. Because what what Jonah should make us think of is this wonderful truth that that for you, friends, for you, Christians, and for me, God didn't appoint a a fish to save us. He he appointed someone much better. He appointed the God-man, the word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, appointed for your salvation. And, and this, this Jesus was not thrown overboard. He was hung up on a cross. Just as Jonah was sacrificed in a sense, so was Jesus' sacrificed, hung on a cross and died there and shed blood for your sins and for mine. And what a wonderful thing to, to believe, and that is that when the Father called upon the Son to go and save you, Jesus didn't run to Tarshish. Jesus didn't run away from you, he ran towards you. He ran after you. He pursued you in his goodness and in his mercy and in his kindness. He pursued you, his enemy, and made you his friend. And so, Lord, uh, so think about that. Meditate on that. Cherish that. We're going to Meditate more on that as Pastor Brian comes forward and and leads us in the bread and the cups. Extra time for us to think about what Jesus has done for us. And our prayer here today is that the gospel would, would move us not to long for the destruction of our enemies, but to long for their salvation, because that's what God longs for. So let us long for it as well. God, thank you for the book of Jonah. We thank you so much, Father, for all that you teach us through the richness of your word. Please give us hearts of compassion and grace for all the nations and for all people. In Jesus' name we pray.